So little, I spent a good portion of um, my undergrad in university studying fine arts. You might not know that about me, but and fine arts, if, like, if you're like, what the flip is fine arts? It's, it's drawing, painting, sculpting, that, that kind of thing, right? And during my, my four years of university, my professors nurtured a deep dislike for some art and artists. And it wasn't that hard, because I think I had a predisposition uh, to not like them. And one artist, I, I'm, just thought we'd open up with something offensive. One artist that I dislike that I'm going to disclose to you this morning is the American artist Thomas Kincaid. Okay? And so some of you laugh because you know, right? So I have, I've never met Thomas. Um, and if you do a little bit of internet research, you can find out that he's probably actually a decent guy. He's quite the philanthropist because he's quite successful. Right? Um, but I just don't like his art. I really don't. And I don't like what it reminds me of and what it symbolizes. I don't. And right now, some of you, because those of you who laughed, uh, you know who Thomas Kincaid is, and you're either like in total agreement, you're like, just garbage. You're with me. Or you're like appalled, dismayed, that anyone would besmirch such a fine name an artist. Or you're sitting there asking yourself, who's Thomas Kincaid? And that's okay too. For those of you who don't know, he's often referred to as the painter of light. And he's known for popular paintings of realistic, idyllic subjects. And he does works like what is shown on the screen now. Right? All right, so you may have seen his calendars or his prints, particularly around Christmas time in mall kiosks, okay? And maybe you own a calendar or a print and you have it hanging above your couch and you might love it. Brent, we have a confession, okay? He might be your favorite painter and I want you to know, like, that's totally all right. We can disagree on our preferences of painting style, right? We actually don't even need to think less of each other because we disagree on this. Isn't that freeing? Although maybe more difficult, than, easier said than done. You might find this, this subject to be something like a peaceful escape. When you look at it, you're like, yes. I love that. And that's okay. And I'll, I'll tell you, while I dislike the presentation and the style of this work, there's more to it, because it reminds me of something that I've tried really hard to leave behind. Something that didn't work for me, a version of my faith, of, of my walk, that ultimately was a bit destructive for me, okay? It was a faith that was based on like this idyllic moralism, or in other words, looking good and acting correctly. And it actually had little to do with following Jesus, little to do with being image bearers of the creator, and little to do with loving my neighbor. Growing up in the church, I felt like 
I was surrounded by people that I would lovingly call today Kincaidian Christians. All right? People that were more focused, and I got caught up in this as well, more focused on presenting an image, projecting this sereneness, this Christianness about them. And we're more concerned with being technically correct than anything else. I felt surrounded by people who appeared to have it all together. And you guys might look at it, that's not this place, is it? <laughs> right? But that was the church I grew up in. And I knew I didn't fit with this, okay? Even though there was actually times I tried, I worked hard to fit in with that, with that group of people. But I knew. I knew internally that I was a mess. I knew I was broken. I knew I failed more than anybody else around me. At least that's what it felt like. Because I compared everything I knew about myself to everything I didn't know about all the people around me. And to be honest, I felt like I didn't belong. Even though I had faith in Jesus and I wanted to follow him, I felt like there just wasn't a place for me in Jesus' church. There's an old Peanuts cartoon where Charlie Brown is at Lucy's psychiatric help booth. She explains, life, Charlie, is like a deck chair. He looks at her quizzically, and she says, have you ever been on a cruise ship? Passengers open up their canvas deck chairs so they can sit in the sun. And some people place their, their chairs facing the rear of the ship so they can see where they've been. Other people face their, chips, their, their chairs forward so they can see where they're going. On the cruise ship of life, Charlie Brown, which way is your deck chair facing? Charlie responds, I've never been able to get one unfolded. <laughs> I love the honesty of Charlie Brown in this moment. He wears his incompetence on his sleeve. It's one of the reasons, if you've, like, if you've ever read a lot of those comics, you love them. And in contra- contrast to Charlie and his openness and his incompetence, in religious circles, in Christian circles, there's this unwritten rule that says, don't be honest, pretend. Pretend everything is okay. Pretend you believe when you doubt. Pretend and maintain the image of a healthy marriage. Pretend your kids are well-adjusted and healthy. Pretend you never sin. Pretend you're perfect when you're actually broken. And you know what? It makes sense on some levels to pretend. It's practical. It's uncomplicated. It's safe, right? You know, when someone asks you how you're doing, and I do this all the time, I'm fine. Because the reality is, is I just don't want to get into it. It's way easier to say I'm fine than to let you know that my back is bothering me, my children annoy me, unhappy with my body. I haven't had a conversation with my partner in months, and I'm wondering if Jesus is legit. 
it's easier just to say, we're fine. Honesty requires a time and energy. It requires investment on both people, and it requires trust. It requires reciprocal sharing. But so often in the church, instead of honestly trying to follow Jesus, we bow instead to the God of pragmatism, utilitarianism, and just saying we're fine. We pretend instead of being honest. The Apostle James in his letter to the early church wrote, are any of in your community suffering? They should pray. Are any celebrating? They should sing praises to God. Are any sick? They should call to the elders of your church and ask them to pray. They will gather around and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayers offered in faith will restore them from sickness and bring them to health. The Lord will lift them up from the floor of despair, and if, sickness, if the sickness is due to sin, then God will forgive their sins. So own up to your sins one to another and pray for one another. In the end, you may be healed. I hope that maybe we could be a people who own up to our sins, as James calls us to. People who could live honestly with each other instead of pretending. A few years ago, I had the privilege of serving as a groomsman in a friend's wedding. And uh, he and his wife were from Zimbabwe. And I tell you, it was a beautiful, just a beautiful wedding and a totally cross-cultural experience for me. Um, the amount of things I learned about my own bias in that one afternoon was astounding. But at this wedding, um, the night before, we were gathered as a wedding party and I was informed that we were going to learn a dance to perform as a wedding party at the reception. Some of you are thinking, oh, fun, right? Some of you are having the same reaction I did and we don't say those words, right? This is, you've got to be kidding me. No, 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 no. We're not dancing. Like, do you know where I grew up? It's not good. The reality is, is I am, like, I am an incompetent dancer, all right? I know it. I don't really have a desire to change. I dance when I'm at alone, when I'm at home by myself, or I dance to make my daughter laugh. That's it, all right? And... In this moment, the bridesmaids were all very insistent that it would be easy, and in just like an hour of practice, we would have it down, no problem. Anybody could learn this dance. Well, two hours later, they began to realize the state of my, but also others in the group incompetence. All right? I was thankful that I wasn't the only one that was terrible. It's always nice to have company when you suck at something. And then the next evening, after everything was said and done, I stood up in front of almost 200 people and I danced. I haven't seen any video, I'm so thankful. I felt like a fool. 
I felt exposed. But you know what? My feelings were actually all my own. No one cared that I was incompetent. If anything, people appreciated it. No one commented that, wow, you were terrible. And I'm sure some people noticed they had to have. It was awful. But they accepted my willingness knowing that this was probably not something I would have chosen to done and I was willing to do it for a friend. And to be honest, as I think about that moment and the incompetence that was so overwhelming, I have to admit that sometimes I feel the same in my walk, in my walk with Jesus. I feel incompetent. And I think, if we're honest, I'm probably in good company. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, quotes the Psalms to remind us that no one is just, not one. No one is truly wise. Not one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Incompetence is rampant. It's also not new, right? It's been with us for a really long time. We're all a bit like Charlie, and we're often not even to unfold our deck chairs. And thankfully, the scriptures are actually overflowing with incompetence. It's one of the great things about the Bible. The authors didn't edit out the flaws of the characters. All throughout the Old Testament, you have people like Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Lot and David, Rahab, and the list goes on, all of who were God-loving, holy men and women who are also broken, who were incompetent. Some struggled with substance abuse. Others had varying degrees of what we would now call mental illness. There were complete moral failures amongst the murderer lying, being a part, regular part of the, the biblical story. And the heroes of Scripture. And it doesn't end when we shift to the New Testament, right? Jesus' disciples themselves just screamed incompetency, right? They flip-flopped on their commitment. They were impulsive. They were lazy. They were selfish. They were vying for power. And I just have so much relief that these are the people we're trying to live up to. Because accepting the reality of our competence, it's part of what it means to begin following Jesus. Making room for ourselves and others, to be honest, is a beginning. Working to set aside what we, I called earlier Kincaidian Christianity and accepting that we're all broken and flawed is a beginning in following Jesus. And not because when we start following Jesus, it's going to miraculously remove our flaws and repair our brokenness. Rather, when we give up seeking perfection and working to project perfection, we can seek after God, the most beautiful one who is here with us in the midst of the mess that we are, is in the midst of our incompetence, 
is in the midst of our brokenness and is here with us. Author Mike Iaconelli reminds us that the church is the place where the incompetent, the unfinished, and even the unhealthy are welcome. Or you can look to the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And it continues. But we often treat, like we treat these sayings of Jesus as just nice things that Jesus said, right? We turn them into patronizing sentimentality. We miss that this is shocking. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We miss that the incompetent, the unfinished, and even the unhealthy are welcome. And that's good news for you and me because that means we're welcome. You know, this is counter to our natural instincts. It forces us to shift our thinking and to reorient our lives. In North America, particularly in the North American church, you know, we're uncomfortable with brokenness. That's why we work so hard to project an image of togetherness, of an idyllic life, of a Kincaidian Christianity. We try to enforce a kind of mandated happiness in our lives and attempt to hold back our discomfort. Instead of just following Paul's advice and weeping with those who weep, we want to cheer everybody up and help them get it together. We want them to be happy for our sake because we're so terribly uncomfortable and there and ultimately our own brokenness. But instead of cheering people up and offering them a three-step plan to happiness, We should follow the lead of Jesus. Instead, join with them. Join with them and sit with them in our brokenness and theirs. Here at Royal City Mission, we recognize that there is this innate fear of brokenness in us. And that often that that fear gets in the way of seeing the beauty in ourselves and in others. And that's why beauty is actually one of our core values. That's why we are seeking to see through the eyes of God, acknowledging beauty in brokenness. We're striving to be creative in our love. We're striving to be honest about the brokenness we see in the characters of Scripture. We're striving to be people, to be with people in the midst of their own brokenness. We're striving to recognize and be honest about our own brokenness and reject the temptation to project the perfect picture. Hopefully, we're offering instead an honest picture Do you have that other photo that can, the, an honest picture saying, sometimes our idyllic landscape is on fire. 
I want that above my couch, <laughs> right? Here at Royal City, we're striving to lean into, our broken, into the brokenness of the cross and see the beauty of the co-suffering love of Jesus and the costly forgiveness that he offered to us. And it's uncomfortable sometimes. And it's difficult. And I am terrible at it. And I think some of you are too. But there's some of you who are just amazing. Who are honest, constantly. And I thank you for that. Thank you for leading us in that. Let me just pray for us as we go. Lord God, just uh, thank you for this beautiful world that you've given us. We pray that uh, we would have the eyes to see your beauty even in the midst of the brokenness. Help us to understand how we can love those around us and love ourselves in the midst of the brokenness. I pray that each one of us as we go from here today would be faced with your beauty. Thank you for everything you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Go in the peace and love of Jesus Christ. Amen.